Welcome to the anointed and transformational teaching ministry of Pastor Walea Kinshiku, Senior Pastor of House of Praise Mississauga, Canada, a parish of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. It is our prayer that as you listen to this message, that you will be empowered to achieve your dreams and fulfill your destiny. God bless you as you listen. The laws of relationships, okay? The need for relationships. Man is born for connection, not for isolation. We're born for connection, not for isolation, okay? Healthy relationships multiplies our strengths and unlocks our potential. When you and I are engaged in healthy relationships, whether they be social relationships or professional relationships or spiritual relationships, okay? When we are engaged in these relationships, our strengths are being multiplied and our potential being unlocked. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and verse 9, it says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. And oftentimes, as Christians, when we look at this scripture, what comes to mind and what we usually think about and we apply it is to marriage, okay? A man and a woman, we apply it to them. However, when we look at it in the New Living Translation, it throws a bit more light to it and shows us that it, this scripture is applicable to every type of relationship, whether it's the social, spiritual, or professional relationship. Two are better off than one. Why? For they can help each other succeed. They can help each other succeed. Of course, it does apply to marriage, but I'm saying it applies beyond a marriage relationship because they can help each other succeed okay in the book of proverbs chapter 27 and verse 17 the bible says as iron sharpens iron a man sharpens the countenance of his friend as iron sharpens iron a man sharpens the countenance of his friend the living bible translation says a friendly discussion is stimulating. It's as stimulating as the sparks that fly when iron strikes iron. A friendly discussion is stimulating. You know, how many times have, have you had an idea? Okay, the idea is in the very, at the very early stage of development. Okay, you haven't even thought it through properly. Then you pick up the phone, or you run into a friend of yours and you share this idea with them, you know, somebody that will, can hear you out without judging you, all right? And while in, in the process of that conversation, the idea gets better, you know, the idea is refined. Why is, why is that so? Friendly discussion brings about stimulation of your creativity. Friendly discussion brings about stimulation of our creativity. It's important also to know that the devil knows that you and I cannot reach our goals, achieve our dreams, and fulfill our potential if we fail to have successful relationships. We can't reach our goals. We can't fulfill our dreams. We can't maximize our potentials when we fail 
to have successful relationships. It will interest you to know that even Jesus Christ, our Lord, when he was here physically, when he became a man, and was here physically, he needed to have successful relationships to fulfill his mission. Here and there. The Bible says in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 6 to 7, that God sent John, the living Bible, John the Baptist as a witness to the fact that Jesus is the true light. The first time I saw this, I thought to myself, why was this necessary? God sent John. If it was not necessary, God the Father would not have sent a human being, all right, to come and point Jesus out to everybody. It makes more sense in the message translation. It says, there once was a man, his name was John, sent by God. What was his role? To point out the way to the life light. Now look at this now. He came to show everyone where to look. He came to show everyone where to look, who to believe in. He came to show everyone where to look and who to believe in. You need somebody in your life. I need somebody in my life. We need people in our lives that will show us where to look and that will show people that are going to be instrumental to our next levels where to look. John the Baptist was a man that did that. See, you and I need to have relationships whereby we can leverage on the credibility of the people we are relating with. We can leverage on their credibility. Okay? People that have built credibility for years. In the case of John the Baptist, he had built the credibility okay, over a period of months. Then when he, one day he saw Jesus, said, he pointed out to him in John 1.29 and John 1.36, 35 and 36, he said, this behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In fact, he said it so powerfully that the Bible says two of the disciples of John heard that and they followed Jesus. Okay? Very, very important. I pray for you in the name of Jesus Christ that God will surround you with very important relationships in Jesus' name. The pain and the hurt, particularly emotional pain and hurts that we have in life, Okay, like I told you some weeks ago, they are as a result of mismanagement of our relationships. So, emotional hurts and pain then can limit our ability to maximize our potential. Please don't joke with this. The pain that comes as a result of mismanagement of relationships can limit potential, can damage our aspirations in life. Okay? That is why it's important to gain wisdom from God to effectively manage the relationships around us. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, in the NKJV version, it says, looking carefully, lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness should spring up and cause trouble. By this, many people are defiled, all right? But I want to show you this other translation and look at what it says, please. It says, look after each other, 
so that not one of you will fail to find God's best blessing. So that not one of you will fail to find God's best blessing. Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you. For as it springs up, it causes deep trouble. Now, sometimes people don't get to realize this. Before God opens the doors to you and to me, okay, to new levels of greater things, usually we'll have to pass a test in our relationships. So if you are at a point in life right now where some people around you just seem to be irritating you, you just feel irritated, you feel under stress, you feel all worked up, and so on and so forth. Please remember, take this from me, according to the revelation of the word of God, you are going through a test. Don't fail the test. God told Abraham, I will make you great. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Guess what? Abraham took Lot with him. Then the Bible tells us that the headsmen of Lot were quarreling with the headsmen of Abraham. All of a sudden, conflicts, strife came into the midst. But Abraham was able to manage that relationship by the wisdom of God. He told Lot, you know what? We don't want strife. At any cost, I don't want strife. I don't want this to stop me from getting to where I want to get in life. Obviously, he was thinking while he did not say that. But that's what he was thinking because he knew he had the promises of God in Genesis 12. This was happening in Genesis 13. So he told Lord, he said, you know what, Lord, I'm going to be selfless. Why don't you pick? Lift up your eyes. Whatever you see, you pick. So Lord was excited. Lord picked and went. Okay? The Bible said he lifted up his eyes and he saw in the natural how, you know, the place he was looking at was so lush and so nice. And he went there. Then the Bible says, after Lot had departed from Abraham, Genesis 13, verse 14 and 15, the Lord now said to Abraham, lift up your eyes from where you are. Okay, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. All of the land you see, as far as your eyes can see. I wonder why so many of us are not having clarity of vision because we're not managing our present relationships well. It blocks our vision. It blocks clarity in our lives. So God told Abraham, lift up your eyes, and Abraham lifted up his eyes, and God, of course, started speaking to him, and of course, we saw the greatness that Abraham manifested. I'm praying for somebody today. You will not fail in your relationships in Jesus' name. So, as Christians, we know the importance of prayer. One of the things that Jesus Christ said in Mark eleven seventeen, he said, My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. So then, what is the role of prayer in our relationships? Particularly for us that are, you know, Christians, we know we pray about everything. After all, the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, 
make your request let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will garrison or guard your heart so we pray but please listen carefully to me I've seen people that are going through challenges in their relationships and the only thing they do is pray I'm going to take that again people that are going through challenges in their relationships whether it's social relationships professional relationships at work or in their businesses or spiritual relationships the only thing they do is pray assuming that prayer is what will change it so please listen carefully to what I'm about to say why prayer is important okay for us as Christians but we must learn how God answers prayers how does God our father in heaven how does he answer prayers of course he wants us to pray about everything don't get me wrong everything but how does he actually answer these prayers so please let's look at this then God generally answers our prayers in two main ways God generally answers our prayers in two main ways many Christians are familiar with only the first one the first way God answers our prayers is what is called divine intervention and this is the one that most Christians are familiar with the intervention of God okay well so when people talk about prayers I pray to God the intervention of God you see throughout the book of Psalms when David prayed to God he would say I pray to God I cried unto God and he answered me and delivered me from the mary clay set my feet upon the rock and established my steps you see scriptures like this and so we as christians we're used to this we're used to this okay you find a christian that needs finances to take a particular action and you find sometimes the christian is praying oh god I need X amount of money. Oh God, there's nothing you cannot do. All things are possible with you. Oh God. And somehow, somewhere in the mind of the Christian, as they're praying, they're expecting somebody to press their bell, send them a text message, send them an email, you know, reach out to them, and suddenly hand them an envelope with the money. But we have to understand that while God can do miraculous things like that but he also answers prayer by divine revelation not just divine intervention but also by divine revelation this is a principle that cuts across every area of our lives so please pay attention it will help your Christian work it will help you flow with God God doesn't just answer prayers by divine intervention he equally answers prayers by divine revelation so when you and i are looking forward to answers to our prayers which god will he has promised to answer your prayers somebody say amen to that but please understand that the prayers don't just come by intervention they also come by revelation thank you so what is divine intervention divine intervention then is when god takes a direct action in our lives by his power direct action God acts without any intermediary he just you pray to him and he acts Psalm 144 verse 7 says David was speaking here he says stretch out your hand from above 
rescue me and deliver me out of great waters from the hand of the foreigners this is a direct intervention of god the hand of god in scriptures okay is a symbol of his power so when he says stretch out your hand he's basically saying utilize your power utilize your power and intervene in my situation and i pray that god will utilize his power and intervene in your situation in jesus name so we love this we love this as christians i prayed and god intervened we love this but can i say this to you no christian will reach the height that god wants them to reach if all they just focus on is divine intervention the more you and i mature as christians the more god will be able to trust you and i with answers prayers that has to do with revelation so what does that mean divine revelation then is when god takes an indirect action in our lives by giving us wisdom ideas instructions and when you and i now apply this wisdom we now get the desired results amen okay so it gives us wisdom it, might, it can give us an instruction it can give us an idea but you will not get the physical manifestation until you and i act on it act on it for example the very first miracle jesus did they said we have no wine he said to them fill the water pots with water they did then he said take out of it the what is still water go and give it to the chairman or the guy that was presiding over that wedding reception and the bible tells us that they did that and of course it turned to wine but mary gave them a good advice she said whatever he says to you do it john chapter 2 and verse 5. anyway take a look at jeremiah chapter 33 verse 3. call on me and i will answer god is saying this is prayer call on me and i will answer then he says and i will show you note that he did not say i will give you what did he say show you not give you i will show you great and mighty things which you do not know now i want to appreciate god and thank god for the uh, translators of the authorized king james version and the new king james version of the bible we appreciate god for everyone for every one of them but what the hebrew word that was translated great and mighty here is actually not great and mighty it means inaccessible is a better translation i will show you things that are secret things that are inaccessible to other people god is saying i will reveal to you i will give you wisdom other people cannot have so when you apply that wisdom you will see you will see a manifestation that other people have not yet seen now in the book of joshua in the book of joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 this book of the Lord shall not depart from your mouth. We all know that. But you shall meditate in it day and night. Then so what happens? It does not finish or it does not end with the meditation. It says you must observe to do. Observe to do. So the process of the meditation is to allow you and I to have observation. 
to find certain things in the world of God that we could not find normally. So when we meditate, we come in contact with the wisdom of God. The process of meditation is the process of reasoning with God through the scriptures. So when we reason with him, he that walks with the wise shall be wise. We are able to access wisdom we could not access naturally. When we apply that wisdom, we find solutions for Look at what it says then. You will make your way prosperous. Notice it did not say God will make your way prosperous. It said you will make your way prosperous and have good success. That's exactly what God is saying. He's saying that once you meditate and I give you the wisdom, the responsibility now is yours. You will make your way prosperous. You will make your way prosperous. That's very important. So once I meditate, once I find out what the wisdom means, God's part is done. It's now left to me to apply what God has shown me. I pray for somebody here today, you will have good success in Jesus' name. So sometimes in the areas where we're going through some challenges in our relationships, the answers to our prayers concerning these relationships are packaged as wisdom from God that requires your application and my application. So today, we're going to start taking a look at some of these timeless principles, wisdom from God that governs our relationships. So we're going to look at the 10 laws of relationships. The 10 laws of relationships. Alright. So, law number one, we're going to take a look at today, is what is called the law of value. Once again, let me encourage you, please pay attention to this, because this cuts across every type of relationship. Relationship between husband and wife, wife and husband, parents and children, children and parents, relationship between pastors or ministers and congregation, congregants, congregants and, you know, the pastorate, relationship between citizens in the country and the leadership of the country, everywhere, whatever kind of relationship, this is important. First law is what? The law of value. And what does this law of value, what does it state? This is what it states. The value you place on a person is what determines the extent to which you can benefit from the grace of God and the gifts at work in the life of that person. Very simple. So, somebody's working, has carrying the grace of God. Somebody is extremely gifted. That gift will benefit one particular party to a large extent, same gift, and will only benefit another party to a minimal, minimal level. Why? Because one person places value on that person, another person does not place as much value. And this is a very, very, very important law. Everybody will uh, do well to understand this law and apply this law into their life. So let's take a quick example. In the story of Jesus Christ and the woman of Samaria, the woman of Samaria in John chapter 4, verse 9 to 10, said to Jesus, now I want you to notice what she said to Jesus. You know, of course, you know the story. She met Jesus at the well in Samaria. 
So she didn't know this was Jesus. This was somebody that was anointed without measure, gifted without boundaries. She didn't know that. But look at how she described Jesus. She said, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask, a, ask drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Because the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But look at the way she described Jesus. You just being a Jew. So what did Jesus do? So look at the value she's placing on Jesus now. She's placing the value of Jesus as one of those Jews, one of those people that we don't have dealings with. So why are you asking me for water? So she's thinking that now in the relationship, that she has the upper hand. But Jesus kindly and lovingly corrected her. In verse 10, Jesus answered and said, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you will have asked him, and he will have given you living water. I really like this set of verses, because what it tells me is that, you can be in a relationship and you'll be assuming you have the upper hand that they are the ones that need me not knowing that you actually need them more than they need you this will do well for many people in certain countries where the leadership of the countries the leadership of the cities the leadership of the states or provinces think that the citizens that the citizens are there because of them. That is a very wrong concept in leadership, particularly also in spiritual leadership. When the pastor of a church or the leaders of a church think that the congregation is coming because of me, wrong. You are coming because God values the life of the congregation. If you are the president of a country, the governor of a state, the premier of a province, the mayor of a city, okay, or a county executive, whatever level of leadership, whether in the profit, non-profit, government, private sector, we must understand that there is more value to be added to us than there is to be given by us. Amen. Now, this next statement, I'd like you to th think about it very well. If you think somebody around you today is worthless, you think somebody is worthless, you look at somebody and say, oh, this is, no, 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 don't worry about that person. It's what, you know, basically, without saying the person is worthless, but your attitude and your demeanor and the way you treat the person indicates that the person is like worthless. You have to understand this then. The person will be worthless to you. The person is not worthless, but they'll be worthless to you. You know, think about it in the Bible. The Bible says that there was a man in the Bible called Naaman. This man had leprosy. He was the head of the armed forces of the ancient country of Syria, the Assyrian army. And the Bible says this man was a brilliant military strategist, won so many battles for his country, a great general, courageous man, highly decorated general. He had gone to war, and in those days when you go to war, part of the spoil of battle was to capture slaves. And they had brought in slaves, as usual. But obviously his wife, you know, might have talked about this, a particular little girl from Israel, and she said, okay, let me take this one and bring this one into my house as a domestic help. 
you have to understand that the slaves in times of the Bible, particularly slaves you capture in war, were technically less than human beings. They were your properties. So this girl was there. But obviously from scripture, this is in 2 Kings chapter 5, by the way, the girl must have been treated so well. That, why? Because one day, without being prompted, she just walked, looked at her master, you know, the lady, the wife of Naaman, and said, ma'am, can I, can I just say something? Do you want to say, please go, feel free. And she said, you know what? My master has been nice to me. He's been good, but I think he can be healed of his leprosy. How? We've been to the best doctors here in Assyria. He said, no, there's a prophet in Israel. If my master will go to that prophet, the prophet will heal him. Now, note that Naaman didn't have, have this information. But for the lady to have access to her master's wife and have the freedom to add value, she must have been treated well. And she said that, and of course they took her up on what she said, and we know the story, Neymar was healed. Do you know how many blessings, miracles, next level opportunities that God has hidden inside or in the mouth of the people that we think are worthless today? The people that we think cannot really add value to us. Do we know how many things God has put in their mouth? Jesus Christ said to us at one time, he said, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, God has ordained praise. Sometimes the people that we think, they are nobodies. People that we think, oh, well, they are just dependents on us. They have value. They can make only one contribution, one sentence, and what you have been looking for for 30 years. Praise God. So please understand this then. When you don't know the true value of the people around you, you will inevitably make wrong assumptions about them. When you don't know the true value of people, you are bound to make wrong assumptions about them. You are bound to judge them by what they wear. You know, if you're somebody that is very, you know, conscious about what people are wearing and you tend to, you know, you are going to judge them outwardly. When you don't know people's true value, you're going to judge them by their cars. You're going to judge them by uh, where they live, the area where they live. You're going to judge them by what they wear, if they're wearing designers or not wearing designers, what they look like. You're going to judge them by the sophistication, the diction of their grammar and so on and so forth. You're going to judge them by the schools they went to. And I'm not saying all of these things are not important, don't get me wrong. The schools you go to, very important. It's important to, you know, to dress comfortably, okay, as in to the level of your own comfort, what you feel comfortable with. It's important to do all of those things, okay? It's important to, you know, enjoy the comforts of life. Nothing wrong with that. But we should not judge people based on that. Can I hear an amen, please? Because we tend to make wrong assumptions when we judge people based on that. So listen to this very carefully then. Assumptions destroy relationships. Assumptions destroy relationships. Clarification strengthens relationships. Assumptions destroy relationships and clarification strengthens relationships. You know, clarification strengthens relationships. So when you find yourself already making an assumption, you have to understand, assumption destroys relationships and clarification strengthens relationships. 
So what do I mean by that? So when you meet somebody, hmm, a quick word for all of our young adults that are out there, singles that are out there that want to get into the relationship of marriage, please hear this very carefully. The last thing you can do as a Christian is to just judge people by what you see only 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 see that is why even employers when they when employers want to employ you put in a critical role in their places of work what they tend to do they see your resume but they don't just give you the job based on the resume they have an interview with you depending on how critical the role is to the mission to the organization the interview is not going to be one interview you have one interview then you sit in front of another set of people another set of people sometimes the interview can be you know there could be many interviews a chain of interviews why because they don't want to make assumptions the interview process is to clarify if you are the best fit for that position so as a single person when you meet somebody or somebody says hi to you don't jump into conclusion that you already know everything about them that is why the process hmm. amen when we meet people we have to make sure that we ask questions okay sometimes in a very subtle manner ask what is called open-ended questions let them talk do a lot of listening okay let them talk it's in the talking that you find out who they are don't make assumptions even if a friend introduced you and the friend has said a lot they could be salesmen they say oh you need to meet this oh you need to meet this guy oh you need to meet this guy the guy is good the guy is nicer than jesus better than jesus the guy is holier than the holy spirit and greater than god you know <laughs> the guy's kindness has no limits oh what about the family oh the greatest family ever you know and the, this could be all be packaging so you now need to say oh great understandable oh great fantastic thank you so much then you meet the person fair enough you meet the person all that introduction is resume resume on paper you know then now interview process starts without it being an interview you're talking you got to know the person then you try and figure out you try and know the person it's as you know get to talk and talk and talk and for a lot of young girls please understand going out with somebody is not about just going to dinner you're going to dinner going out so we went out every day you went out we talk it out it's better than we go it out you know so we went out we went out so you go to all these dinners the room is dimly lit you can't see each other's eyes and you know when you talk you should see each other's eyes so you know we're saying the truth you know face to face there's nothing that beats face to face you know you look at it today when we, we have meetings on zoom today upper part of our body is professional the lower part of our body is pajamas <laughs> you know you know so that already tells you that it's not every is not exactly the way you see it you know that's just amazing so you sit down you talk there's something wrong in going out for dinner you know people get to 
it has been discovered that people get to talk a bit more freely when they're eating, when you're eating together. So you had food, but you don't understand that what is important is that you want to hear them out. You want to talk. You want to know about their lives, their worldview, what interests them, what doesn't interest them, and so on and so forth. It's from they talking generally about themselves that they're going to reveal one or two things to you, and you can find out a little bit more about them. I have learned something that has helped me a lot, and I want to sh share that with you. When I meet people, okay, or people come into my life, or I walk into people's lives, I always have learned to pray a very simple prayer. And I would like you to take this on board in your life. And this is the prayer. You, I will encourage you to pray this for yourself at all times. When you meet people, even people that are present in your life now that you have met already, that are in your life right now, you can pray this. Father, show me the role of X, Y, Z in my life. Show me. Why is this sister in my life at this time? Why is this brother in my life at this time? Father, show me the role of this person in my life. Because you see, the Bible says God sent John. What was the role of John the Baptist? Not to be a disciple of Jesus. If Jesus had made John the Baptist his disciple, it would have been out of God's will. God sent John not to be a disciple of Jesus, but to be a forerunner, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. If it had been for many of us today, we would have co-opted John to be one of our disciples. We have to find out what is the role of this person in our life. And it is when we pray this simple prayer that God begins to reveal to us, some people are going to play what is called seasonal roles in your life. They'll play their role in your life. It will be very important, very critical, very instrumental to where you're going next. And after that immediate period, that'll be it. Some people are going to play a more long-standing role in your life. So, but it is, you can't know that. I can't know that by myself. It has to be a revelation of God. There's one of my daughters in the house. You know, she got a job at the particular time in her life in this country. Fantastic job. She got a job, you know, as a contractor, you know. So she was working as a contractor, business analyst uh, in a place, reporting to a particular lady. So, incidentally, she didn't know this. She just got recruited as a contractor working. She got excited. She didn't know that the lady she was working for, okay, was having some professional challenges with her own very senior boss, who was a senior vice president in the organization. So they, were, they had this personality clash for some reason. They just could not get along. So she didn't know. So she came into the place. So when she got in, the lady that hired her, a direct manager, started obviously recruiting her in, onto her own side, you know, in this conflict, you know. And, and it's a long story short. It got to a point whereby the senior vice president could not stand this lady that hired her after some, about a year, uh, about some months rather, about seven or eight months, fired her. So when she fired her, she felt a bit vulnerable. She fired her, but she didn't want her team to leave. So she approached this daughter of mine in the house and said, hey, I know you're very close to this lady and she hired you, and so on and so forth, but I want you to stay. So she said, all right, 
and I've told her, you know, you have gone to the place of work. This is not a political party. Don't take sides in Asian battles. Focus on your job and be good at it. So she learned that. So she did not pick sides on this Asian battle. So she told the lady, oh, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, this lady that had left the place of work kept calling her and saying, you've got to come. I'm going to about to find something new. I'm going to find something new. You've got to come. Don't walk in that place. She said, I've, I've heard. I've heard. She stayed there. So in order to keep her, the senior vice president said, you know what? I don't want to be a contractor. I want to really make sure you're here. And promoted her and made her a director. Wow. So she asked me, she said, I'm going to have to move to being a full-time staff. I said, full-time staff is good for you, for you personally, to fulfill destiny. So she moved into being a full-time staff as a director. Incidentally, she worked as a director, first year, second year, this senior vice president started having problems with her own, with the CEO. And so, so while she was two years, one and a half years on the job, they fired her. They fired the senior vice president. So that one also started calling her. You know, they fired me, so and so. I said, just stay. <laughs> just stay. Remember, don't get involved in Asian battles. Just stay where you are. So she stayed. But guess what happened? The senior vice president got another job in a far bigger company. And because so somehow she wanted to give it to the organization that fired her, so she called her and said, listen, I have an NDA, you know, I have an NDA and I have a non-compete agreement with these people, but it's going to be expiring soon. So they went for lunch. And she said, once it expires, I want you to come. I want you to come and work for me. You're going to manage a team of people like this. You're going to have a budget of $300 million in your place of work, and I'm going to make you a VP. So she told me. I said, so what are you waiting for? <laughs> she said, I want to find out if it's the will of God. I said, what are you talking to me about? <laughs> I said, the will of God is what God told Moses. Go forward. That's the will of God. So, so she went forward. So the lady said, so this is what you're going to do. We've had this conversation in the restaurant, but now I want you to go and start the process. An agency will call you and the whole process will start. So the agency called her. The whole thing looked like it was normal, but it was all drama. Just all a play. So they played according to the script. They interviewed her. She showed up. This senior vice president showed up. She was now CIO now in the new place. Showed up in one of the interviews, you know, and all of that. When the other interviewers left the room, she looked at her and said, oh my God, I've missed you. Look at your hair. I love your hair. So they started talking about things that didn't prove, wasn't really pertaining to the job. Anyway, that's how she got in there. She became a VP. She started rising and rising and rising in the place. You know, she gained tremendous experience. That place of work sent her to Ivy. Ivy her business school uh, trained her in all manners of all that different concepts, exposed her to senior leadership. She started making presentations to the board and all of that and started going higher, higher and higher until recently her place of work was swallowed up through mergers and acquisition by the biggest player in the market in that particular industry in Canada. And of all the people that were in her place of work, she was one of the only ones that they picked and lifted up again all our relationships. Please always ask yourself, what is the role of this person in my life at this point in time? What is the role? So please, I will encourage you to pray this for yourself. So please, 
then note this you have to choose to relate with people based on their true value the true value of the person all right proverbs 14 verse 31 tells us that he who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker but he who honors him has mercy on the needy note that he who oppresses the poor does not reproach the poor but reproaches the creator of that person he who oppresses the poor does not reproach the poor is actually confronting the creator of that person very important the true value so the true value of the person then is the value their creator places on them this is what will help you and I to treat a lot of people okay as being valuable it is the true value the creator placed on them look at Luke chapter 12 verse 7 Matthew 12 12 the true value of the person is not based on the type of car the drive oh it's a luxurious car oh, it's an amazing car the part of the city they live in the level and the beauty of the designer clothes and shoes and accessories they use that is not the true value of the person okay the true value of a person is Luke 12 7 and Matthew 12 12. Jesus Christ said the very hairs of your head are all numbered this applies to every Christian don't fear therefore you are of more value than sparrows and Jesus in the context of this scripture said no sparrow falls down without the consent of the father he said so you are of more value than the sparrows okay in Matthew 12 12 I actually like this one Jesus said how much more how much more value does a man have than a sheep some countries leaders need to note need to hear this how much more value does a man has than an animal you know across the world today is amazing there are things you can do to an animal you will never get away with it in the western world and this same half of this more than this you can do to a human being you get away with it if in Canada today you have a pet you have a cat or a dog and you go outside of the street and you start beating the dog and the cat or the cat you're in big trouble you go to jail for that as well as people even go to jail for different things you know it has to do with their pets but you have people doing other things to other fellow human beings and we call that their first amendment rights people have value it doesn't matter the color of the pigmentation on the skin it doesn't matter their accent the addiction it doesn't matter whether you judge them to be from lower social strata that's okay they might not be your closest friend that's okay but because somebody is not your closest friend or not in your circle of friends does not mean they don't have value okay choosing our friends is based on preference treating people with value is based on revelation think about it 
all the teachers, many of us, some of us have experienced in schools, that never counted us as being valuable, that looked down on us and thought to us, what can you ever become in life? You know, that looked at us and thought, what will you ever achieve? You cannot make, you can't get to anywhere in life. Place no value. We look at it now, 30 years, 20 years, 15 years later, the one that they said will never make it is the one that is now putting the name of the school on the map. I remember very clearly when leaders were chosen in my own high school. I don't know how they came about it. I don't know who chose it. I don't know what committee sat down and chose those leaders. 42 leaders were chosen and announced on one day in my high school in those days. They used to call these people prefects. And of all the 42 prefects, 42, 40 plus 2, the people that chose this did not, and the principal came out and announced it, he could not change it. Did not at any time think that I had any leadership capacity in me. And what, why that was a bit more painful for me at that time was that to the glory of the Almighty God, I was representing this school in science quizzes, in mathematics quizzes, in different things like that. Young engineers project and all of that stuff, nice stuff we used to do when we were in high school. And I was bringing in prizes and awards for the school. Even if the principal is going to say, okay, as a, just to cover this man's shame, let's give it to him. There was one particular one, assistant food prefect. How, I mean, what was the job of an assistant food prefect? It's just a silly job, no job. Just no job. It's just a job when students, when we all go into the big hall to have our lunch, you know, and we all sit down just to make sure, you know, there's nothing, just taste the food, nothing. But, you know, I really wanted to be a prefect when I was in school because it has this little nice badge. I'm, just, I'm sure you understand what I'm saying. That, you know, you put on your time, people just kind of like look at that twice and respect you. All right, let me actually be honest. I actually wanted to be a prefect because it caught the attention of girls. You understand? You understand? Come on, like, come on. You know, it gave me one leg in with girls. You understand? So you're you able to say, oh, hi, how are you? Oh, hi, how are you? Perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, perfect. You know, <laughs> yeah, perfect. You know, and here they, they keep on calling all this thing. They didn't call me. Praise God. <laughs> I wonder what my principal would say now, whether I'm a leader or not. You know. So let's note that. Treat people with value. Relationship law number two, quickly, let's take a look at this and we can round up here for today. It's called the law of respect. It's similar to the law of value, but a bit deeper. What does the law of respect state? This is what it states. Please note this. You cannot, you cannot attract value when you don't respect the vessel. You can't attract value from a person from a vessel when you don't respect the vessel. Write it down, please, if you're writing. This is so, so important. You can't attract value when you don't respect the vessel. Notice this, place. Respect refreshes and feeds a relationship. 
I cannot overemphasize this particularly because it goes across every type of relationship. Whether spiritual, whether it's social, it does not matter. Respect refreshes and feeds a relationship. Disrespect hinders the value that can be received through a relationship. Sometimes you see people that are placing a demand on you to do something very important and they're not showing any iota of respect. And what they don't know is that when you don't show respect to somebody, they lock the value they can give you. They lock it within them. Disrespect strangles and eventually kills the relationship. Because man is not designed to move to an arena where they, can, where they are only tolerated. We move to areas where we're celebrated. If you don't feel celebrated in a place, you, don't, you feel undermined, you feel disrespected constantly, constantly. Naturally, you're going, to, you're going to move away from that area. You're going to move away from that relationship. You have to be, show respect. You know, that's why I like it. Can I, can I say something to you? One thing I learned when I started living in London, England, and I must say this to you, it really amazed me. Because coming up from the country I was born and I grew up in, the order of the day when you are a leader or you have the upper hand, what really shows that you are a leader is to disrespect everybody around you. So getting into London, England, and being in the system, I was very surprised to see how people were respecting other people. It was just incredible to me. You know, I, I, you know of course, I trained as a pharmacist. And working in the health sector, when I worked in guys hospital london england i was amazed just watching and seeing how doctors and nurses and the health professionals treat the patients i was blown away you know you see a doctor talk to a patient very respectfully even some patients that you know when i worked in the cancer ward in the oncology department you know when you see even when you know the patient is Basically, after just a few months to leave, they treat them with dignity and respect. When you see how the nurses will administer medications, or nurses just want to come into, they come into a ward, you know, when I go into the ward with the doctors, a nurse will come into a ward and see a patient and say, oh, hi, hi, you know, greet the patient and say, you know, um, um, let's say the patient's name is um, Jane. And say, oh, hi, Jane, how are you doing today? Mm, I'm fine. You feeling any pain? So on, so on. After all the courtesy, you know, greetings and say, uh, Jane, I'm just going to take your blood pressure now. I'm taking blood pressure. And says, um, then Jane, here's your medication. Then Jane, you know what? You're going to need a needle. It's just going to be. And they'll be talking to Jane as they're giving a needle and saying, Jane, don't worry. You're going to feel a pinch a little bit, but it's not going to be long. It's a very tiny needle. Don't worry about it. And Jane, I'm coming in now and give the needle and take it out. Ah. <laughs> Praise God. I used to also work in a teaching hospital in a particular country before I got to England. Number one, that was then. I'm sure things have changed now. But I'm talking of years ago. Things have changed now. When you first see the demeanor and the uniform of the nurses, you know that God, please deliver me. I want to get well soon. They're always dressed in white, one black shoe, and put something on the hair. When they bring out an injection, 
you know it's life and death. If the disease does not kill me, this injection might kill me. The first they bring out the injection, when they pull, sometimes they even mix it in front of you, you know. They take the water of injection and put it into the, you know, the powder injection and then they shake it and you can see the thing foaming. And you say to yourself, this is going to go inside me, they shake it in front of you. Then they take their needle. The needle always seems to, I'm not saying this, but it's always seemed to me to be very large. Puck into the thing and they pull it out. Then the one that is amazing to me is how did I bring it out? They try and get the air out of the syringe and they shake it and the whole water is splashing all over the place. Then they call you, Jokes, cut! They usually have this little blue a divider or cutting. Then they call you to come under the place. But nobody goes behind that and doesn't cry out of the place. <laughs> it's like that place is a torture chamber. You know, you know, I was telling Thompson and I said, isn't it amazing what technology has done? Today, you know, you go into a clinic, you're the doctor's place, you know, because of this COVID-19, you go to a place and people say they want to check your temperature. And you take this little gun, just place it closer to your head, don't touch you, just press it, poop. And they say, oh, your temperature is this and you can go in. I say, isn't this amazing? I say, Thompson, do you remember how our temperatures used to be taken? Some of, you, some of you that are younger, you don't remember, you don't know anything about this. There is this, this, this thing called a thermometer. If you are a baby, if you know where they put this thermometer for a baby to check the temperature of a baby, it might not be too nice for me to, it will, it's, it will be too graphic for me to tell you here. But you can ask your mom or anybody at home. You see babies crying, ha! And you see a thermometer sticking out of the bomb. <laughs> you know? And for you that you're an adult, when you stand in front of the nose, they say, open your mouth. You open your mouth, they take the thermometer and stick it under your tongue. Then they tell you, close your mouth. Very uncomfortable, you say, mmm, mmm. And they tell you, close that mouth. Mm. And they come out, they take the thing. And they're the only ones that know, they say, oh, you didn't read properly. Open your All of this is as a result of there's no value in the life of the person, there's no respect, no respect for patients. That's why you have to know. If you don't have a healthy self-esteem, it's difficult to respect another person. Anybody that will respect somebody else must be secure, must have a healthy self-esteem. Let's take this quickly. So, if a person is outwardly successful, but inwardly insecure, they will struggle to show respect to other people. I found out from scriptures that the reason why people show disrespect to other people, particularly similarly the ones that have upper hand, is because they are insecure. They're insecure. They somehow they feel that if I'm respecting you, it's taking something away from me. It's not. So, a healthy self-esteem is what allows us to actually show respect to other people. And a good example is the story of David, David and Abel. In the few minutes I have right now, I'm just going to run you through that story. The old story is in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 25, which I will encourage you to go read at home. It's a fascinating story that has different angles to the story. I wish somebody, a Hollywood producer and a director, would put together a movie about this 
sorry. It's just amazing. All right. Nabal was outwardly successful, but he was an insecure man. In 1 Samuel 25, verse 2 to 3, the Bible says he was a wealthy man. Okay, he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, which means a lot of wealth in those days. All right. The man's name was Nabal, and his wife was, wife was Abigail. The Abigail was a sensible, beautiful woman, but Nabal was the descendant of Caleb, and he was crude and mean in all of his dealings. All right? So, anyway, he had a dealing with David, okay? And David valued Nabal and showed respect to Nabal. How do we know that? In 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 4 to 9, when David heard that Nabal was sheep, sharing the sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Camel with this message for Nabal. What was the message? Peace and prosperity to you. So you can see respect today. Okay? Peace and prosperity to you and your family and to everything you own. Respect. Verse 7. I'm told that it's sheep sharing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Camel, we never harmed them. Nothing of theirs was stolen from them. I really particularly like this verse 8. Look at what it says. Ask your own men. They will tell you this is true. So will you be kind, kind, kind to us? When we're making requests of people, even if we feel the people are obliged to do it, please, it's important you add kind. Even when you feel they're obligated to do it, he doesn't have a choice, he has to do it. Please understand that by showing respect, they will go beyond their call of duty. Since we have come at the time of celebration, please, this is what I teach children from kindergarten in this, in, this, in this country. Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. And verse 9, David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name and they waited for a reply. And if this was a Hollywood movie, this is where there will be suspense music. You know, what was the response of Nabal? Nabal, of course, disrespected David. So look at what happened in verse 14. Meanwhile, look at what happened in verse 14. The servants of Nabal, they went to Abigail, and this is what they told Abigail. They said, Nabal screamed insults at the servants of David. So Nabal disrespected David. But I want you to actually hear what Nabal said. Nabal said, in verse 10, who is this fellow, David? Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days that run away from their masters. See the way he's talking about David? Someone has respected you? He said, who is this son of David? Who is this? Who does he think he is? He's a servant. He's a servant. He's a servant. He's a servant. I'm a rich man. He's a servant. He said, should I now take my bread and my water? And my meat that I've slaughtered for my own shares and give it to a band of outlaws. He called David and his men a band of outlaws and he was saying this right in front of them. I was driving with a friend of mine in a, in a uh, car, in his car, nice car, in Lagos, city of Lagos, Nigeria. And when traffic, his driver was driving us, you know, we were sitting in the car. And as we were going, it was raining a little bit, just a little bit. 
And the guy ran into some puddle of water a little bit, just across some water. It wasn't anything, it wasn't damaging the car, it wasn't anything serious. And it's okay for you, the owner, to try and correct him, to tell him, hey, be careful, you know, watch out, please be careful, watch out. It's all of that is fine. The next thing that came out of the mouth of my friend is, are you blind? And this man is a Christian. So I was something just, I was not happy about it at all. Is that you blind? And the man he's talking to will have been minimum 10 years older than him. Just because he's your driver does not mean he has no value. As a matter of fact, he's holding your life in his hand. Is that you blind? So, which is exactly what is happening here in this story. So, of course, this outlaw went to tell David that David was coming to kill everybody in the house. So I told my friend, I said, you know what, be careful. He said, no, 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 you don't know. You live in Canada. You don't know how these people are. So I said, all right, I don't know how these people are. I made, I made up my mind that if this man is going to kill you, he won't kill me and you. I'll figure out another way of getting to where I want to get to. A bound of outlaws. So Nabal disrespected him. But what I want you to understand is this. Nabal disrespected David, but those closest to Nabal then started disrespecting Nabal. Once they have found out that he is showing disrespect, this part of this message is critical. Some of the disrespect people are facing in their relationships is as a result of the fact that the other people are hearing the way you disrespect other people. Hmm. Salah. So, when Abigail saw David, Abigail is the wife of Nabal, remember? She quickly set out of her donkey, and in verse 24, she fell at her feet and said, I accept all the blame in this matter. Please listen to what I say. Now notice the next thing she said. She said, I know Nabal is wicked and ill-tempered. Please don't pay any attention to him. Look at what the wife said about Nabal. He is a what? Fool. Why is the wife showing disrespect to Nabal? After all, David is not related to them. The reason is very simple. When, and I'll get to that in a minute, you sit on the slide. When you disrespect somebody, all right, in the presence of other people, please listen carefully to me, you have given permission to other people to disrespect you. Every parent, please hear me. Husband and wives, when you're having your usual robust discussions, okay, or energized deliberations, and in front, the children are there, and sometimes you, you're hot, and you want to hurt the other party. The wife wants to hurt the husband. The husband wants to give it to the wife. And the children are there, and then you say some very mean things just to hurt them. Then after the whole thing is done, one day, the children show disrespect to you. And you say to them, where are you learning all this from? Don't you know I'm your mother? Don't you know I'm your dad? Don't you, you, what you have to realize is that once you have disrespected somebody else where they are, you have licensed them, given them the permission to also disrespect you. It's a very important concept you have to know. You never, never, if you never, husband and wife, you never said mean things about yourself right in the presence of the children. You know, sometimes husband and wife are having conflicts, you know, strife, having some issues, and they're trying to play the children against each other. They use the children as bargaining chiefs. 
like ransomware, they lock the husband with the children. Some of them say the husband will never see your children. And the, the wife says sometimes, you know, the husband says the other thing, the, 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 the same thing also. You never see your children. I'll make sure you never see your children. In the midst of all of this, guess what is happening? Selfishness. Nobody is thinking about the life of the children. When the children grow up, they become extremely dysfunctional. You know, we find a lot of them in churches that you, they're just dysfunctional people. Then when you sit down with them and ask them, please tell me about your family. Then they tell us about their family, and we realize that their family was a dysfunctional family where they had all these issues. The husband is trying to get at the wife using the children as ransomware. The, hus- the wife is trying to do the same thing against the husband. And, you know, and they for- you know, everybody's forgotten about the children. Then they poison the children. So you're having a conflict with your husband or with your wife. Then you sit down with your 12-year-old, 11-year-old, and say, you see, your dad, your dad is no good. My mother told me not to marry him. I made a mistake in marrying your dad. You made a mistake. Bear the consequences of your own mistake. That child did not make a mistake of having him as a father. You might have made a mistake of having him as a husband. For you, it was a choice. For that child, it was not a choice. We don't use our children as bargaining chips. You know, I thank God for my dad, my biological dad, my late mom. I never, and I'm the first born in my house, I should know. My mom gave birth to me when she was 24. My dad gave birth to me, had me when he was 27. You know, I just never, never had them have robust discussions. I'm not saying they did not have. I know they have because my, I know the personality of my dad. They had a lot. But I never had them growing up. It was almost like they waited until everybody was out of the house before they now say, it's time to rumble. <laughs> they had, you know, they now had all, had all of this. But we never had them. When we come back, they portrayed for us a very close, monogamous relationship. And that helped me. I didn't have dysfunctionality at all in that area. And today we have people that are dysfunctional. Dysfunctional because of the selfishness of their parents. Relationships, when there's disrespect, something always dies. There's always loss that is suffered. Okay? The Bible says about 10 days later, Nabal died. Something always died. Some people don't understand why the relationship they've had that was promising is just dead. Disrespect. 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 A lot of young girls, you do well to understand this. You know, you are looking for value, you are aspiring to be the best you can ever be, and in Jesus' mighty name, you will be great in Jesus' name. But it's important for you to know that from whom you will get this value, you need to show some respect. Respect is not slavery. Respect is not worship. Respect is honor. You need to learn how to honor people. Not slavery, not worship, but just honor. Just honor. You know, um, I've seen people, you know, we have a young girl's church, Ignite Church, 1 p.m. Many years ago, when this church first started, 
I've seen people that are, you know, who feel that they needed something from me. And I would have just maybe have preached on my way to my car. Maybe I'm standing there, I'm talking to one or two people. And a young girl would just come, tap me on the shoulder, and say, hey, hi, can I talk to you for a minute? And I would, and I would you know, gladly turn. And, you know, at that time, you know, Jesus has many faces. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So at that time, while my general inclination is to be a lion, but I'll turn and I'll remember, let me be a clergy. Then I'll be a clergy and I'll say, how can I help you? So I kind of just want to talk to you for a minute. I don't know if you have some time now. Uh, then I gladly declined the offer. Gladly declined the offer. And just tell them, oh, so sorry, not now. Or there's another way we do it, which I will not say here, openly, that, you know, or maybe I should say because it will help you. Anytime you meet with an individual that has the power and the authority to help you, but they point you back to a process. <laughs> you meet with a person, but the person points you to a process. What they're telling you is that you didn't come in very well. I met with somebody, this is the person. This is, there's no doubt, this is it, it's going to be done. And the person now tells you to go back to a process. They point you to a bureaucracy. You're going to be lost in the bureaucracy. But what they're telling you is that you didn't, you've broken certain principles. I hope this will help you. Anyway, let's do this quickly. Let's wrap up today. Have you been blessed at all today? All right. Let's conclude today. We'll continue next week. Please, concluding note number two, know that without respect, you can never reap the benefits in a relationship. Without adequate respect, you can't reap the benefits in a relationship. That's just important. Without respect, you can't reap benefits in a relationship. Also, what I said before, okay, when you disrespect someone, you give permission to other people to disrespect you. When you disrespect someone, you give other people permission to disrespect you. This principle cuts across everything in life. When you steal, okay, in the presence of people, you are giving them permission and legitimacy to go and steal also. This is what is happening in some countries in the world. When the leaders of the country are stealing, they've just legalized stealing and corruption for every other person in the whole country. Because when you disrespect somebody, you are permitting other people to do the same thing. I was watching a, um, a documentary yesterday titled Nixon's Money. Former president of the United States of America that resigned, I think it was in 1974, but he's dead now. You know, Nixon. This thing was called Nixon's Money. Nixon got money from some mobsters. You know, um, they said it was about $3 million. And he kept this money in a very small little bank in California where he thought nobody would know. But for some reason, what the mobster was looking for him to pardon him or commute his stress, just pardon him. But he didn't pardon the person, he just committed the sentence of the person. And the guy has given him $3 million cash. So he was keeping it in this little vault. So the mobster called some of his other agents and outsourced a job to them to break into the bank and steal Nixon's money. How are you going to report illegal accumulation of funds? So they broke in and they stole the money. 
It's a long story, but and, 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 and you know that, that's what happens when you are doing something that is illicit and illegal you permit other people around you to do the same thing when you are disrespecting when your children are hearing the way you are disrespecting your husband calling him names telling him he's good for nothing telling him he's a lazy bone he's a this he's a that you are telling the children to disrespect you not just your husband you and particularly you know, some of us have daughters we say all of these things and we think that no they are on my side now let me say this to you you're deceiving yourself only some years later down the road they will resent you when they get to a particular age when they will understand other inputs that came into that relationship they will resent you for putting planting this bitterness in them top and now when we got married getting close to 26 years now ago when we got married one thing we said to ourselves was this conflict management because i was coming out of a world as an unbeliever where i was volatile i was like a volcano mixed with an earthquake wrapped in a typhoon riding on a hurricane <laughs> you know i could be very volatile but you know i'm better now i'm no longer a volcano I'm just a burning bush. <laughs> so we sat down before we started out. You know, as we saw our relationship was getting serious. So iron out how we're going to resolve things. How we're going to resolve things. And one of the scriptures that helped us is don't let the sun go down on your anger. That helped us. There's nothing that we're going to do. No argument, no quarrel we're going to have that anybody will leave the master bedroom. You must never leave the master bedroom. You sleep there. No, that's just the little rules in our own house. You don't leave the master bedroom. So what, if you say I still don't feel comfortable, I'm feeling, then sort it out. You must sort it out that night before you go to bed. You know, it has helped us. Why it helped us is that there's no carryover. So if we have to discuss something today, we discuss today's issue. Okay? We don't bring out 14 years ago, that's how you did this and did this and did that. No way. We don't build this up. We don't build this up. We resolve it right now and then. It has helped us tremendously. So, you must choose to respect people. Respect your wife. Respect your husband. Can I say this to parents in the house? Respect your children. Because the children get respected every part every place in this country from kindergarten the teachers respect them you know you know when i was growing up you go when the teacher walks into the class god has come into the class everybody stands up good morning mr simpson or good morning whatever the name of the person is i mean they were god in this country the teachers learn that respect the two-way streets they respect the children so your children are used to being respected you know and so on and so on, because it's the value of the society you as a parent then cannot disrespect your children and expect value from them the way the bible puts it is this, the bible puts it in ephesians chapter 6 it says fathers do not provoke and fathers the mean fathers and mothers don't provoke your children don't provoke them okay we got to show respect and of course children you respect your parents shall i say this in the book of ephesians 6 verse 3 
it says when we honor our parents it says that we will live long on the earth it will be well with us and we will live long you don't even need a man of god to bless you on that he said you will just do well and you will live long on the earth in other words part of the reward of god is that you will live long long life oh i'm praying for somebody here for long life in jesus mighty name so let's conclude for today we must choose to respect everyone we meet law of value the law of respect will continue next week This is the end of the message. We are sure that you have been blessed. For more information, please visit our website at www.houseofpraise.ca. God bless you.